What about your situation, Sol? Will you be staying at Tottenham? I'm staying. Hello, um, Sol Campbell is a legend. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting podcast, different to what we've done so far. Um, this is a part one of two almost for our season predictions because the season's coming up and it's, it came across quite quickly and it's, it's quite exciting. It's only a week now until, a week and a bit till the season starts, which is very exciting. Uh-huh, the, it's a Friday night we start with, Liverpool, Arsenal playing Liverpool, on Sunday. So yeah, so on this podcast though, we're not going to be following Arsenal Spurs so much. Please don't turn off though. I hope, I hope this doesn't affect you. Um... It's still an interesting discussion. It's going to be football discussion so much. We're going to be talking about the season as a general as a whole, all the teams pretty much, how we feel the season is going to go away from Arsenal and Spurs, how teams are going to fare. Um, we've got a couple of interviews um, with all the top six teams, apart from Man City. Because they've got no fans. Because we couldn't find a Man City fan that was actually a Man City fan, basically is the situation there. So yeah, Man City, unfortunately haven't been found, so we don't have the ability to talk to a Man City fan this week. Um, I think it's fair to say that it's quite easy what their predictions are going to be, mm-hmm. so it's not hard to cover them. But we have got a Liverpool fan doing an interview, a Man United fan, and a Chelsea fan. Uh, so all of that Arsenal Spurs talk won't be happening so much this week. But we're going to talk about, before we talk, go into the top six specifically, we need to give the small teams a bit of, a bit of love. So we're going to talk about our predictions for like our general predictions, and the first one we're going to start with is the surprise team of the season. So my surprise team of the season is going to be, and wait for this, Newcastle. People are confused right now because everyone's been hating on Newcastle, and Newcastle are one of the favourites to get relegated. And I think people think Newcastle are going to finish in the bottom three pretty much, and because they haven't spent. But I think. With the way they've lined up, they get, they've bought what they bought an A player, but I think what they did was quite big. I think Jolington has got potential to be a, a a a lifetime player, basically almost. And I think him pairing him up with Almiron for this season, it's going to be our first season to see Almiron play full time. And I think the two of them together could link up brilliantly. I think defensively, Newcastle aren't so bad. They've got the cells. They've got Lejeune. Um, I think Newcastle defensively they went bad on under Rafa. You do, I mean, you, you don't know how they'll be better or but, worse. But, under, but players wise, players wise, they're not so bad. Not great. Um, I think considering people are talking about them being the favourites to go down, I think surprise. It's supposed to be a surprise that this that, that I'm picking here. So I think the surprise team for me is a, going to be Newcastle. It doesn't have to be a very likely surprise, but it, it would be a surprise if it did happen. Um, I think Newcastle will make top 10 this year. I'm going for a big, big prediction there. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't think they will. I, I think the whole atmosphere around the club at the moment, even though they're signed Joe Linton, it's not great. The, the fans are booing. Well, they want well, Ashley Allen. I don't think it's a good... I don't think they're going to get top 10. Um, personally, I think, along with along with the other clubs, West Ham haven't... I mean, so, uh, not West Ham. Um, Newcastle haven't really been hyped up that much. The teams that have really... Uh, like West Ham have been hyped up quite significantly. Um, Wolves as well. Um, to, to the extent that even if, if if Wolves were to finish seventh, it wouldn't be a surprise because everyone has has predicted them as as their surprise team. Um, uh, for me, I think the the sort of I, I, the, the surprise team would be I think Leicester. 
Um, I think they've made some significant investments of Yuri Tielemans, uh, Ayose Perez. Tielemans was there last year, though. Yeah, but now he's there, now he's there permanently. And I think that, that under Rodgers, um, they could have a very good season. I think that I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think we're. I mean, if you, if you compare them to the other teams that are in for run in in the that are in for that sort of seventh seventh spot, I think Leicester. I think have a chance. Um, but realistically, they probably will go to Wolves because everyone thinks they're going to go to Wolves. I, I wouldn't be that surprised. But um, I think I think Leicester have tried to done what they did, simply just replace Mares with Jose Perez. But I don't see I don't see Leicester doing very much. Maybe they'll, they'll, I think they'll get top ten. I think they're expected to get top ten. I think they'll finish ahead of Newcastle personally. I, I'm saying though, I think surprisingly Newcastle will do what people don't expect and finish in that top ten. But our next prediction though, we're going to talk about is the best signing so far outside of Spurs and Arsenal. Yeah, because if, if it was if it was including Spurs and Arsenal, it's obviously Martinelli it's or obviously Tangi and Dombele. I get it. I get it. Um. Um. So I think the best signing outside the top six. Do you want to start with this one? Um, yeah, I mean it's not really a, a lower uh, a lower team. I mean they, they aren't that good. They're Man United. Um, I'm going to go with um, Daniel James, um, who I think 15 million. I think it was the signing. I mean people aren't expecting that much from him. I think he could have a, a pretty good season. He looks when I saw him last year against against um, against. Man City, he looks pretty quick and he looks like a decent player. Um, I think he could. I mean, Man United are going to be dependent on wingers. It's dependent on on wingers and and new players really. Um, I think he could have a good breakout season as a Man United player. Daniel James, Welsh youngster. Do you think he's going to get enough game time though? I think they haven't really got a choice. I mean, they can't really play Sanchez in this. I mean, who else have they got on the wing? They've got Martial, who's moving to striker. They've both really been moved into strikers. So, I mean, wingers, they're a bit... They're not, they're not weak, but I think he's got a chance. And he's, he's played in a lot of the pre-seasons. I, I know because I watched the, 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 the Tottenham game specifically. Um, I, think, I, think he could, um, I think he could have a, a, a real breakout season as a Mayotte player. OK, fine. Um, the player I'm going to go with for the best signing of the season is from a smaller team. And is 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 Southampton's? Um, they bought they bought in Danny Ings, but I think the signing for them is going to be Shea Adams of Birmingham. He is very young, nice and young, twenty one. Um, he had a great season for Birmingham. Um, he cost he cost them fifteen million last year. He had a great season with Birmingham in the Championship. He scored twenty two goals and five assists. Um, he is, I think, he is a great striker. He can play on the wings as well. So if Southampton do want to play Ings, they can always shove him out wide. I think Shea Adams, he's, he's not everyone's first pick. Fancy football, he's not going to be anyone's picks. But um, I think I think Shea Adams is the going to be the signing of the season. So the last prediction I'm going to do, though, is the bottom three. Who's going to get relegated this year? Um, so, so I'm just going to say mine, you say yours. So my bottom three is Sheffield United... To finish last, Norwich, then Brighton. What do you think? Um, I, I mean, I agree mostly. I think Sheffield haven't made the, the type of signings that they should to to stay in the Brem. Ravel Morrison is not the type of signing you want to stay in the Brem. He's uh, yeah, Sheffield. I think, Sheffield I think they bought a striker with um, Lise Musset, but to be fair, they their best player last year was Billy Sharp. So mm. they just and, and Lise, Lise Musset hasn't been that good in the Brem for, for Bournemouth either. 
He's been pretty average. I don't really know how much game time he got, but... Yeah, but that, that, that's for a reason, because I didn't think he was that good. Um, I think I, uh, I... I hate to... Brighton, yeah, I see. They, they, were, they were almost relegated last year. They were, they were like a, a game away, I think it was, and then they, they, they got some points against Arsenal um, in, in a great game that was. Um, and they stayed up. And even, even though then the, the Chris Hughton got fired, I, I didn't think that should have happened. Um, and the final one, which I disagree with you on, I think Newcastle will go down, despite making big investments in Joe Linton. Um, I don't think I think the whole the atmosphere around the club has, especially with with the, the second of Rafa Benitez, or also letting let, let him expire his contract. I think the atmosphere around the club is is really really toxic, um, and I think that will, will will translate into the players' performances on the pitch, and I think they will go down from the Premier League into the Championship. I think this year will have a big effect this season on the smaller teams because. It's the international break, or well, not the international break, it's the winter break in February for a couple of weeks. But I think January this year could be big for a lot of teams because there's the likes Palace, if they lose Zaha, who knows what could happen to them. Watford haven't invested. They they could easily they could easily get caught. But there's I think this year it's clear there's clear three groups of teams of the top six, the teams that are battling it out to try and break into that. And then the teams, and then the rest, basically, which are all going to be suffering for relegation. And I think this year, January, could play a big part in that. I think even for the top six teams, January could play a part. I don't know if Chelsea have their ban in January still. Yeah, it's the whole season. So I think I think January, if if the likes of Arsenal and um, I know Liverpool could be, if Arsenal were trying to get into top four and Liverpool are trying to win the league still... I think January could be a time that these clubs could invest a bit more. Um, so I see it being a big part, not just for, for, for all teams this year, rather than most years when nothing really happens. And it's shortly followed by that winter break, which who knows what that effect that's going to have on teams. That could just stretch the gap between the, the best and the rest, because if you get a break, the best get to settle down a bit. That's the problem with the, the, well, none of the small teams that are complaining about um, an international break. It's all these big teams like Man City, Pep was mooning, his players are too tired because of Champions League and all that. So it might just make it much easier for the top six to kind of run away with it, so, uh, per se, this year. Um, so I think that's the rest of the league so far. Um, and we're now going to get on fans from the top six to discuss where they think they're going to come. We haven't found a Man City fan, which we've just which we mentioned. We've mentioned it all through the show, <laughs> We've been constantly saying Man City fans don't exist. Then talk to a Liverpool fan first, followed by a Chelsea fan, and then finally a Man United fan. Um, and this is the two-part podcast. And next week we'll be discussing Arsenal Spurs as pre-seasons. If you are a fan of either of those, of either, do let us know, and we can try and get you on. Um, so yeah, we're gonna speak to a Liverpool fan now, who has got his opinions about Liverpool season. Okay, so welcome. We've got Liverpool fan here, Joe Kay. Um, we, we're we going to talk to you about um, Liverpool season and how you think it's going to go. We're going to start with the current news and how do you think so far Liverpool transfer window has gone? Um, well, firstly, it's, it's great to be on a podcast. As a, it's a, I've heard it many times. It's a, it's a really good channel, so thank you for having me on. Uh, how has Liverpool's transfer window gone? Well... We have actually signed two players, Seth van der Berg and Harvey Elliott. Uh, individually, they look good. They're young. 
they have talent, uh, and I hope that they will be um, uh, important players for us in the future. That, for me, is the kind of only positive. And in the last few days, I think kind of the Liverpool community have kind of come together and um, there's a common consensus amongst many Liverpool fans now that we, we should have and need to sign uh, at least one high-profile player. Um, so I think going into the season, personally for me, I would have liked to have seen us sign a left-back, a right-back, and a top-quality forward. The reason for a left-back and right-back very quickly is because in the last couple of seasons, we've had James Milner, the absolute legend, filling in right-back, left-back. And as a big team uh, like Liverpool, challenging and vying for all different types of trophies, you need the quality and depth, and you need uh, sufficient cover. You need a proper left-back as your, as your cover for Andrew Robertson and a proper right-back as your cover for Trent. Although Milner does a good job, ideally... You want um, uh, a natural left-back and right-back to cover. And at the moment, we don't have that. However, what is quite concerning is that we haven't signed a forward. Um, now, there are many reasons why um, we should and need to sign a high-profile forward. I'm just going to give you a couple. Um, firstly, we saw many times last season, uh, the front three don't always work. And it's very important to keep your opposition honest by not playing the front three all the time. Um, so if you sign another forward, what you do is a high-profile high forward, high-quality forward. What you do, you increase competition for places. You allow uh, greater flexibility with rotation. And actually, when you have increased quality and depth at forward, Liverpool are, are better equipped to challenge for more trophies. So sometimes when we drop points, we could have done with some kind of fresh impetus and a, a, a proper forward to come in and maybe replace Firmino or Salah or Mane when they're injured. Just come in, keep our position honest, rotate them, keep them fresh for the season. That's reason number one. Reason number two, if you look at our main competitors, Manchester City in the league and in the Champions League, you've got Juventus, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona. You look at their attack, they don't just have three players that are world-class, they have six world-class forwards. Why do they have six world-class forwards? Because they know going into every season they want to challenge for every trophies and they want to maintain competition and they want to ensure they have sufficient quality on the bench to replace the injured forwards or if they get injured or to replace them during the match or if they sustain a long-term injury. And that's why these, tro these teams are able to win trebles or doubles every season. For me, the reason why we um, uh, were only able to win the Champions League last season is because we actually didn't have sufficient quality and depth up front. But if we sign someone like Coutinho, or Zaha, or Dembele, or Depay, or Ziyech, or Neres, or Pepe, who have, we've all been linked with them, I'd feel so much more confident going into the season, and I'd feel so much more confident in challenging Man City. Just based on what you're saying, though, um, you're saying that the competitors around Liverpool have been improving. It's not like they're making so much more money than Liverpool are. So where else is this money going? Because they got they won the Champions League final. Surely there's a big income there. Yeah, absolutely. This this is what's baffling. You know, I, I don't buy the argument that we have limited money. I don't actually know who's who's been saying that we have limited money because we actually made, I believe, two hundred fifty million pounds last year from the Champions League, from the Premier League, from revenues from TV from merchandise sales, from advertisements, all these types of things. We made a lot of money last year. I find it baffling 
And I find it actually quite illogical that we haven't spent that money and invested it. Um, and I'm not saying go out and buy five quality world-class players like Real Madrid have done or what, you know, uh, Atletico and Barca have done. They've been so active in the transfer. That's not what I'm saying. I think just an additional one or two, be wise with the spending, take time to think about who and use that money we got to, to, to get someone who can really fit our system. Um, for me, I would have loved Coutinho to come back. I really would have done. Because you, you, the whole season, Liverpool fans have been saying, even though we had an amazing season, I've seen it everywhere, in articles, in comments online, in um, videos online, and on Liverpool FC channels, they've been saying, hold on a sec, oh, we just need a bit of uh, excitement in the midfield. We just need a bit of attacking flair. Oh, it'd be so great if, if you know, we could have that extra player to kind of cover for if the front three get injured. That player is Coutinho, and he's clearly not going to play next season for Barcelona. I don't understand why we haven't made a, a bid of 80 million or something. So you've been talking about, about the, the front three, and there's been talk about um, that, that because Mane and, and Salah are going to be returning late from the Africa for Nations um, and, and there's going to be Liverpool are going to start off the season with not a front not their ideal front three where, where do you think that the Liverpool's um, possible slow start could affect their league finish and, and where do you think that they'll finish in general um, so actually Salah and Firmino return today uh, today is Monday the 29th the season starts not this Friday the next Friday so Friday after for us so hopefully they will have enough time to get fit get fresh uh, get sharp, and hopefully they will start um, against Norwich at home, and then we have Southampton and Arsenal. Mane, on the other hand, for me, I'm really worried about Mane because for me, Mane is our, is our best player. He was incredible last season. He was an absolute joy to watch. Sometimes he would literally take the game by himself. He'd see that there was, you know, Liverpool was struggling. He'd take the game. He'd dominate, and um, he would do. Um, who do a lot of good stuff for us. And the fact that he's coming back on the 5th and the fact that we start on the 9th is is quite concerning. So I, I think we have to accept we might be without Mane for the Super Cup or Norwich at home. Um, and is that going to make us have a slow start? Probably not, because I trust that Origi or maybe Shakiri will fill in and do the job um, that Klopp wants them to do and get the points because it is only Norwich at home and then the second game is Southampton away so I'm sure hopefully with two of them playing we'd we'd get the win but this is this is what I'm saying like when we don't have the front three as a fan I just I just don't feel confident that we're gonna get past our opposition and even though we did it against Barcelona it's very very different because if Mane picks up a two-month injury the drop-off, as I said, in quality from Mane to Origi is so steep. And if Mane picks up a two-month injury, we don't have anyone to properly replace him. We don't have a Depay, we don't have a Dembele, we don't have a Neres or Pepe to come in, do exactly the same job and get the points. And you can see what I'm saying. The confidence as fans that we have when one of them is absent is it just plummets. So do we have a, do we have a slow start? Probably not, as long as Mane... Uh, is gets fresh and gets ready when he comes back. And you asked, where do we think? Where do I think Liverpool will finish? Well, I, I do think we're going to get top three. Uh, I definitely feel so. Uh, I think people have been 
Well, I don't think people should... Um, what's the word? Uh, I don't think people should count out Tottenham for the league t- for a league title challenge. Very you true, just true. look at their squad. It's an <laughs> unbelievable squad. Um, and they got to the Champions League final in 2019. We got to the Champions League final in 2018. The following season, after we got to the Champions League final in 2018, we took the league to Man City and we went toe-to-toe with them and got 97 points. Now, Tottenham should look at what Liverpool have done. There is a very, very similar story. Tottenham now, they lost in their Champions League final. They should look at what Liverpool did the season after that Liverpool lost in the Champions League final and say to themselves, right, if Liverpool did this this season, or last season, then we can do that as well. So Tottenham, uh, I don't think we should rule them out. Uh, I've said this before, I've said it again. At the moment, we're not good enough to beat Man City to the league. Um, we were incredible last season. Absolutely unbelievable achievement for me, 97 points. I think that I think we overachieved, if I'm being completely honest. Do I think that squad can replicate what they did in the league again? Probably not. That's not being a pessimistic. I think that's just being real. I think we'll get top three. We're good enough. We have the experience. We have the know-how. Um, and we learned a lot from last season. But no, I don't think we'll win the league. So aside from this season, though, just with how last season went and how the future looks, if Liverpool do kind of replicate last year and finish with that 97 points again or whatever, them challenging Man City for the title, do you think a, a genuine rivalry, though, is brewing between Man City, fan, between Man City and, and Liverpool? And how do you feel towards Man City fans as well? It's a great question. Um, I love talking about Man City. I tend to talk about them more than I do Liverpool these days. Um, so you asked uh, if we challenge them again, is there going to be a brewing rivalry? I think there's already a bit of a rivalry, but for sure that rivalry will be amplified if we go toe-to-toe again. Absolutely, because uh, you saw this season, more so post-January, Liverpool and Man City fans were all saying to, were all kind of monitoring in detail and anxiously the results of Man uh, the results of um, well as Liverpool I was monitoring the results of Man City closely and they were doing the same for Liverpool and there was just so much focus on each other and when you when you focus so much on another team it starts to create a rivalry. Now, uh, if I'm being honest with you, I do think there is a big rivalry because I think there's a lot of enmity. I think there's competitiveness. I think there's contention between the fans and the club. I think there's bitterness. And actually, I think there is a bit of jealousy between both sets of fans towards one another. Now, if that doesn't fit the definition of a rivalry, I don't know what does. Um, For me, though, um, I think there was a little bit of a rivalry that started between Liverpool and Man City in 2014, when we both vied for the league title, and they narrowly pipped us at the end. Um, that was a very entertaining season. And that was when kind of things started to boil between Liverpool and City. Uh, from 2014 onwards, Raheem Sterling left Liverpool to go to Man City. And when a big player from Liverpool goes to Man City for £50 million, he, he showed his loyalties to Liverpool when he was there, but then he left. That creates a bit of hostility. That creates a bit of uh, division between the clubs. And that, again, creates more bitterness between the fans. Following on from that, you have the 2016 Carabao Cup final, where we lost to Man City on penalties. Um, following on from that, the next kind of uh, you know uh, big clash we had with Man City was 
2018 Champions League quarterfinals uh, in both games were very, very intense. We know how much Man City want to win, need to win a Champions League and we knocked them off that kind of idea of them winning and we um, strode on and, we, and we, we embarrassed them, to be fair. And as, as I said, the more times you kind of c- compete with one team, the more... Um, the more bitter the fans get, the more intense the competition gets between the two. And that's, and I think it's just been brewing and amplifying in the last couple of years. And not only in the Champions League in 2018, which kind of cemented uh, hostility between Liverpool and Man City, but we had the whole of last season, Liverpool going toe-to-toe with them. Um, the thing is, though, I was just going to say, because with like, Liverpool's like, actual rivalries, Everton and Man United, really... It's yeah. really and how rivalries work in general is it's fans that create the rivalries, and yes. I know it's a I know it's a silly joke, but genuinely there aren't many Man City fans. We couldn't even find one to do this with. So I'm saying because of the lack of City fans, do you think yeah. this might actually cause an effect where it's just Liverpool fans arguing with themselves about how Man City are annoying? You're you're probably right. Uh, that that's a that's a fair point. Uh, and a lot of Liverpool fans have, have, have kind of uh, uh, disregarded the idea of, of City being a, a rival with Liverpool because um, they, I think some Liverpool fans have been like, they don't want to stoop to kind of that low level of Man City. They don't want to kind of include them in their historical, passionate and deep entrenched rivalry that they have with Everton and Man U. I think most... Football fans and Liverpool fans appreciate that Everton and Man U are their real rivals. And City have kind of come along 2010, you know, throwing it up a bit, changing the dynamic and fabric of the league. And, and now they've kind of, they're wanting, perhaps some Liverpool fans have said, oh, but City want a, a rival. They want a, they want a big club to compete with. And Liverpool fans have been like saying, sitting there saying, no, no, we don't need you as a rival. You're just annoying. Um, you've seen, though, uh, many City fans have also been obsessed with Liverpool. Likewise, Liverpool have been obsessed with City. So you can still have a rivalry um, between Liverpool and City and between like any top six club. But the City-Liverpool rivalry will never be as big as the United-Liverpool rivalry, the history. will never be as big, of course, with the Everton-Liverpool rivalry. Nothing will probably be as big as those two. Um, but for me, I think the rivalry between Liverpool and City is more than just a top six rivalry um, for the factors that, that I uh, stated before. And also the proximity between London and Manchester, uh, sorry, Liverpool and Manchester. Um, you know, Liverpool and Manchester, obviously cities, not only clubs that are uh, hostile to each other, but it's, it's, it's the city, it's the city kind of a divide and bitterness. Um, so, yeah. OK, thank you. Thank you for your answers thank you thank you so much for coming on thank you're you. welcome okay so that was his um his interview um he seemed to be quite a a opinionated liberal fan pessimistic i think it said he was quite negative mm. like, okay doesn't, doesn't think they won the league doesn't think they have that big of a squad I don't really know. He seems quite negative as a Liverpool. Okay, well, he did make a point that Liverpool did not haven't signed anyone really. They signed two youngsters, and mm. he said they needed depth in fullback. Yeah, which I think is okay to say, but mm. they've got like they've got two of the best fullback. They've got probably the best fullback pairing in the league. So to say that they need oh we still need depth there. They've got Milner who does cover there. 
Yeah, Milner is a, is a good backup fullback. I don't see the, the massive fuss of having him as a backup. Well, the thing is, though, if Milner starts in midfield, who plays left? In, but Milner doesn't start midfield. They've got about 400 midfielders now. They've got Fabinho, possibly Keita, even though I think he's out, actually. But they've got a, th- a, a solid midfield, and Milner doesn't really play there that much now. He's more as a backup left-back, or full-back in general. Um, and I, I think that he's, he's a pretty decent full-back. I don't, I don't see that there's massive need for Liverpool to buy a full-back, really. Okay, but maybe they maybe at right back then they might need one or just <coughs> they they do probably as a team you just still want to improve a bit so maybe they do need to spend but uh, I don't, I don't know so much about that but um, he also said they needed a backup because I think depth is a thing in football but to say uh, they do maybe need a striker to replace to back up for me because he, he said that this thing that that Barcelona Madrid and all those teams have six top players. That that uh, that play as a front three, like that's that's not really true. I think it's a bit unfair now because to compare, because if you look, Man City, yeah, of course they've got stupid depth, but you look at the other teams, Arsenal don't have an insane backup when you're as front three. Spurs don't have an insane backup striker. Um, if 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 you can't Lucas Moura, the legend, then I'm saying most teams, Man United don't they don't have a who's their backup striker? Fine. Lukaku. Yeah, but Liverpool aren't, aren't trying to be Man United right now. I'm well, saying these teams don't have strikers. backup strikers. They're, they're, they're the European but champions, they unfortunately. So, so therefore, they they are going for to, to be as good as Madrid and, and Barcelona. But I don't think Barcelona but, and Madrid have six six top players as, as a front three. That's I don't think that's reality. I think Barca have good wingers. I don't know who their backup striker is. Is any good? Dembele, he's obviously not a striker. No, Liverpool got Shakiri. They've yeah, got Oxley Chamberlain. But Barca have got have got Lionel Messi. Who's going to play backup to Lionel Messi? It's a bit different playing backup to Salah than Messi. Okay, even Real Madrid now they just signed a striker to back up Benzema. Only now, possibly to start as well. I don't. He could start. Okay, Jovic, Benzema, either one of them is going to start. Mm. But these big teams, Bayern Munich, they've got Lewandowski and Müller plays in the same team. If one of them get injured, who plays instead of them? They probably put Muller further forward. I'm saying they move players around, and Salah played up front last year a bit. Yeah, and remember, Liverpool don't play with a number with like a proper out-and-out striker. For me, there isn't that. So I don't know. Saying every team has it because it's just a you want maybe a backup striker because they got rid of Sturridge and Danny Ings and those sort of players. But but I'm saying a big backup striker I think is a bit is a bit greedy. Yeah, we can say. But yeah, so he's saying like Liverpool, City, Spain, and all that. And there's is there like a rivalry now brewing? Because I think there is something there. Like it's not the same sort of rivalry. It's not a proper rivalry. It's not. It's not like a local rivalry or historic rivalry. But it's a different rivalry we haven't really seen before. And I think if. You get it if it's going to happen in any league. It's probably going to happen in England, where it just happens because they eventually, after years and years and years of competing with each other, like Liverpool did with Man United years ago, they eventually became rivals. But we then mentioned that City don't actually have fans, <laughs> so and that's how rivalries are kind of built around that, fans. Arguably, fans. We couldn't get anyone on the, on the show from from uh, to represent Man City, unfortunately. <laughs> so. So maybe, just maybe, um, this rivalry isn't a thing and 
it will die out soon. If if one team drops off, though, it it it, it relies on Liverpool being as consistent as City have been over the years. It's a, Liverpool don't really have proper rivalries in general. Like Man United, they've got a proper rivalry, fair enough. But Everton, where's well, your local? There's not really anything there. Like the, the, the like when the last time Everton finished at Liverpool, I, I don't even know. It's like they, they're just not not close in terms of how good they are. But so I guess, I guess this is an, an, another. But not really, not really a rivalry for Liverpool. Okay, so that was Joe, and that was the Liverpool discussion, and we can move on now to next in the league in Chelsea. Hello, and welcome to the show, Guy Mizrahi. He's a Chelsea fan. Um, here to talk about Chelsea season and all that. All right, let's get going. Um, so the start of the season for Chelsea has been a bit of a has been a bit interesting. He started off with the start of the season or ended this, ended last season with Mauricio Sarri, um, and this season you have Frank Lampard. Um, as a Chelsea fan, do you think that Lampard should have got the job? And do you think that um, as an ex player, um, he'll perform as a manager with all the history in the past of ex players um, not being that good as managers, such as recently Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? So. I personally wanted Sarri to stay because uh, he, if he was given the time, he would have succeeded. Um, I mean, in one, in one season, he got to two finals. He came third, so like best of the rest. And um, yeah, but I, I don't mind having Lampard as a manager because um, I mean, I've kind of accepted the next two seasons are going to be awful. And we're never going to really catch City and Liverpool. So what's the point? And why not, why not give it a go? All right. Do you, do you think that as as an ex player, he he could? I mean, because recently Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and all that, and there's, there's been history of ex players I mean, most, coming most with hype. Managers, most managers are ex players anyway, and it, it got uh, Oli Oli right. He's like a bad example, but if you look at Zidane, he came into Madrid and won three Champions Leagues in a row in a row, right? So you've got positive, like you've got good outcomes and you've got bad outcomes. So you, you never really know. Yeah, but do, do, do you think that, that Lampard has, has proved himself in the past as a manager? Or? I mean, he took a derby squad and he took them to the final of the playoffs, which it's not a great achievement, but it's not bad. I mean, um, he, he did decent at derby, but why not give him a go? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, all right. Since, since, since we have the transfer ban, since we're never going to catch City and Liverpool within the next, within the next season or so, so mm. why not try? I mean, if it works out... Brilliant. If it doesn't, sack him and get another manager. Well, and anyway, there, there weren't many managers available because Allegri said he wanted the season off. Uh, Luis Enrique left the Spain job after we appointed Lampard, so there was no one really available. Okay, but yeah, um, but how much of an effect do you think this transfer ban will have, such as like Hazard leaving now and not being able to replace him properly, I mean, even though Pulisic came I, in? I actually think it's a blessing in disguise because... We don't have the money to compete with City, and even if we did, we've ha- we'd have we'd have to spend like three, four hundred million pounds to just catch up to them, and um, so I don't actually mind. And because I've accepted the next year or so are going to be aren't going to be very good, then why not give like the youth players a go? Because look, the last generation of youth that we had, and we let like slip away, they turned out brilliant players. Look at De Bruyne, Salah, and Lukaku. Imagine Chelsea's squad with those three players right now. Like we'd be challenging for the title. Fine. Um. So, but where do you think, based off, based off this whole transfer window that Chelsea have had, where do you think Chelsea will finish? Or what's your expectations? What do you want to see Lampard achieve this year? I mean, realistically, I reckon we'll finish fifth or sixth. 
Um, of course, I'd like to finish top four, but I don't really think it's going to happen. Um, I mean, we could still get Champions League football if we finish fifth and City get banned, which is a possibility. But um, I don't think we'll slip out of the top, the top six because um, like, the top six clubs are so big and have so much power that I don't really think like one player like Hazard leaving is going to affect the entire kind of... I don't think they're going to slip out of the top six. He 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 did score fifty percent of your goals or something like that last year. He so contributed fifty percent of goals at Stamford Bridge, I think. Yeah, I mean it, it is a big loss to replace. It, it is a big loss, but I know the fifteen sixteen season isn't a good one to compare to because um, we finished tenth. But um, mm-hmm. that year Hazard was dreadful, but William stepped up, and I know we finished tenth and we did kind of slip out. The, back then it was kind of a top four; it wasn't really top six, but. Um, mm-hmm. Although we did slip out of it, the entire squad was like horrendous. Um, Courtois was getting red cards and injuries. Um, our defense was atrocious, and unless that happens again this year, then I don't see us dropping out. All right, but um, what for Lampard though? Like the Champions League, Chelsea have got Champions League football this year. What are you expecting? Are you expecting to get to, I mean, the to be honest? Or? We're not going to get to the final. I don't think we'll get to the semi-final. And I'd rather come third in the group and go on and win Europa League again. And uh, that'll be our route to the Champions League for the year for for the year 2021. So I, I'm not expecting anything in the Champions League. Um, so along with along with all these youth players that are coming into the squad now, um, and and some of the new signings, the, the, one of the the big ones, for example, is uh, is uh, Tammy Abraham. He's been given the number n- number nine. He's been given the number nine chair, which obviously has a little bit of history with some pretty bad players playing in it. Um, do you, how do you think Tammy Abraham's season will go um, I mean, now that he's been given a, a, a first team place pretty much? I, I like Tammy, but I don't think he's as good as like some Chelsea fans hype him up to be. Um, he did score 26 goals for Villa, and although it's a good achievement, he didn't exactly score them across many games. For example, he scored four goals in a game where Villa like won 5-4 or drew 4-4 or something. So, I don't know. He, he's a decent player, but he's not great. Um, and he's not he's not like much worse than what we have anyway. I'd say Giroud is better than him, but Batshuayi isn't very good. And um, we had an option to buy Higuain, but he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been very good. And Giroud can't play all 50 matches, so I don't mind Tammy playing since. Um... So one final sort of um, issue is that we have mentioned it in, in the past in the, on the podcast. Um, and I know you have opinions on it. Is, is the the use of the the Y word or, or yid or whatever you want to refer to it refer to it as? Um, what, what are your opinions on on let's say Chelsea fans using the word? Yeah. As a Chelsea fan, and I've been going to Chelsea Spurs for like four years now. I've never heard it in a in a bad like in a bad. Um, I've never heard the the Y word being used in such a bad way. It's like many Tottenham fans claim that we use it in. I've never heard anything to do with Auschwitz, like nothing like that. Um, and I think if Tottenham fans are allowed to use it, then why aren't Chelsea? Like it's still a derogatory term. So why are you allowed to use it because you're Tottenham and we aren't we aren't allowed to use it because we're Chelsea. So, so you think the word is inherently offensive? In, in, I mean, I don't think so, but some Jews claim claim it's offensive. I mean, the word was invented by Jews and used in like a good way by Jews, so I don't see how it's offensive 
anyway, but because some Jews do take offense, then, um, I mean, I don't take offense from it, but um, if Spurs are allowed to use it, I don't see why other clubs aren't. Um, all right, that that's pretty much it for this. Thank you Hi. for coming on. Thank you. Hello, so that was the Chelsea fan we've had on, Guy Mizrahi. Um I thought he was a pretty realistic Chelsea fan. He he didn't think the Chelsea were going to have a two uh, that 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 successful season um, under Lampard the first time. He, I think most Chelsea fans are like that, and he thinks that they they should prioritise Europa League um, over over the league position, which is an interesting position to take, I guess. Well, it's interesting because Arsenal kind of was supposed to do that sort of thing last year. Well, we was like we were going to focus on the Europa League as an easier way into Europe next year, but um, in the end, we ended up almost qualifying for the Champions League. I'm not going to say accidentally, but that was kind of the aim. Was kind of we needed to qualify, and that was the route we were going to take. But Chelsea don't actually kind of have that option. Although he did say Chelsea should finish third, and then you'll get through winning the Europa League, which is a bit of a hard thing to do to intentionally finish third. I mean, in they, a group, they, they they could stop worse players in the Champions League rather than and in the group stage and just basically give up from the start and uh, yeah, look not aim for third but not aim to go through maybe. That, yeah, but that's quite a difficult. You can't aim because then you have to intentionally lose, which is a bit of a dodgy, mm. just a dodgy position to take. Even though, even though it happens in a lot of other sports where teams might intentionally lose to benefit them, I've never seen that happen in football. But one way that one way that they could um, actually do that would be by playing would be playing youngsters or more youngsters in the in the in the Champions League games. Um, one of the the youngsters we we asked him about specifically um, was Tammy Abraham, and he was he was saying that, that basically in short he isn't that good. Chelsea fans hype him up too much, um, and that his twenty three goals Garcia for Villa um, were, were spread out a lot over the over the the games in the Championship. Um, and, and he personally thinks that, that Giroud was better than him and I thought that's that's a bit harsh on Tammy Abraham um, like he's an upcoming English youngster um, he's got potential to be a good player I hope he's a terrible player at Chelsea I hope he has the worst season of his career um, but I, I think yeah I think he was a bit harsh towards Tammy Abraham what, what do you think about that? Well I think Tammy Abraham hasn't proven himself which is fair to say um, but I think I think he's not. I don't think he's good enough right now to jump straight into Chelsea's first team and just be the main man. I think Chelsea will rotate a lot this season between him, Batshuayi, and Drew, which is funny because Arsenal had a similar position a few years ago, and we were rotating like Welbeck, Giroud, and whoever else. We were just constantly like we didn't have a star striker, which Chelsea and I had an issue for for a couple of years. They haven't had this main man. They brought in Higuain, who didn't really do much. Morata really, was there. Really, really since Drogba, really, they haven't had a, an out-and-out first-team striker who's who's been scoring goals for them so like, uh, like solidly. I mean, if if you count Torres, I guess he was he's the highest scoring striker recently, recent memory of them. Um, but he even he wasn't that good, even though he did win some big games. Well, they did rely a lot on Hazard for yeah. his goals, I mean, and, we, and and he mentioned that the fifty percent stat of. of Fifty percent of goals uh, contributed or uh, contributed to, which shows the the effect of Hazard and how he's going to be he's going to be missed. I think even even with all the, the youngsters coming in. I think Chelsea though as a whole, they, I think they did pretty well considering they had a transfer ban. 
they kind of found all the loopholes for it and they're still spending more than most teams. Yeah, I mean, that, that wasn't... That, 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 it's not really a chance of that. They've already bought two players, in it? I know, but they found they did well to get around the loophole. They could have bought a third. They could have bought Higuain, but they chose not to. Yeah, so they still spent money and they and their loan system over the years, which has kind of been mocked for loaning so many players out and so many people that have actually should be given a chance, is actually now going to work out for them because they've got all these youngsters now that were on loan to whoever knows in... To God knows who, in 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 mostly in, mostly Vitesse aren't yeah in, in 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 Holland, um, so and Tammy Abraham was 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 saying that I saw him saying that a few a few weeks ago that it's now or never for Chelsea's youngsters, which um, I think it's it's pretty much true because they've had all these years of not playing them and loaned them out for different to different clubs and they have to play them now or or or, or fifty of them will get up and leave the club and that that'll be a problem for Chelsea I guess. Okay, so that was the Chelsea fan. Um, and that's Chelsea's season kind of warming up. Now we've got in next in line is the Man United fan. Come on. Okay, so welcome. We've got a Man United fan now in Jake. Um, so we we're going to talk to you now about Man United season. How how it's going to go. So firstly, Ollie has been at the club now for a couple of months. Um, he had a bit of an if on and off. Kind of, he did well for a bit, then he went off a bit. So, like, how do you rate him so far, and what's your expectations for like him now? Um, well, I'd give him a, a six out of ten. I mean, he's come into a job where he hasn't, he, well, a job at a club that's uh, that's huge, and you know, it's the biggest club in the world. And uh, I mean, he's only had the experience at Cardiff and and like somewhere in Norway or whatever. So. Um, I think I think he's done okay. Um, he went on that win, winning streak. I mean, he didn't really beat any teams that were significant apart from Tottenham. But um, there were some positive signs there after Mourinho got sacked, um, and then of course he had the dip in form um, pretty much as soon as he got the contract. So I'd say I'd say yeah, six out of ten is fair. And then for the upcoming season, to be honest with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, there's not. I think with most United fans, it's not real. There's no real expectation on him. Nobody's really putting pressure on him, and he, he should personally. I think you know he'll do he'll do okay. We'll see how it goes. Um, by January, I don't know. I don't think we'll we'll be hitting the top four, but you know, let's just see what happens. You know, I don't expect much from Oli, but you know, let's just see. But um, so basically, so when he came in, though, there was kind of a issue with the clubs, like harmony, let's say, with like Mourinho yeah. and Pogba. But yeah, it seems yeah. that even after um, Mourinho's gone, there still seems to be that issue still with Pogba. So do you think it was actually Pogba the one that's actually been causing the problems and Mourinho wasn't actually the one to blame for all of it? Uh, see, this is this is a massive debate between like United fans. A lot of, lot of United fans are fighting in-house about this one. Um, you know, Some are saying, oh, it's Pogba. Some are saying it's Mourinho. For me, I think it's both. I think Pogba's been... Um, huge cause of disharmony in the in the in the in the locker room. Um, I mean, he's such a big personality. Um, you know, you've seen the way he came back. You know, Pog back and all that sort of stuff. The the campaign and they had. He's he's a massive player and he's 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 a big big on um, Instagram this and that. So he's going to have a lot of a lot of say in the changing room. I, I think he can be very um, disruptive and especially with the younger players we've got. Um, you know, like Rashford and Martial, I think I think he can put a massive influence on him, on them with with the way he acts in the dressing room when he should really be a leader. So, I, I, from what I've seen and heard, I think he's been I think he's been a problem. I think effectively he got Mourinho sacked 
um, because the club had to make a choice between Pogba and Mourinho. But at the same time, you know, it's not all Pogba. It's Mourinho. Mourinho was a problem. You know, you've seen the way he went his press conferences. He just destroyed the players. He destroyed Shaw, destroyed Martial. Uh, he destroyed Pogba all in the press conference. You know, he should keep that in the dressing room. And he just caused massive problems as well. You know, it's just not Pogba to blame. You know, Mourinho, he was going to get sacked regardless. You know, the the club wasn't right for him. It wasn't the right job. You know, we, we weren't a stable club who who was going to get him, you know, the, the, the best players. Um, we did we did try that. But, I mean, in the end, when you give the guy a contract for, what, two, three years extension, you should be backing him fully in the window. And, and they failed to do that. Like, you've seen that with Maguire. They didn't get him. They didn't get his transfer targets in the summer. Um, so, you know, it was it was going to go wrong from there when Edward Wood didn't get him the, the centre-back and stuff. It was going to go wrong, you know. It's, it's a recipe for stuff. Fair enough. So, so speaking about um, speaking about transfers and, and going in and going out at Man United, um, how would you rate um, Man United's window so far? Obviously, bring in Wan Bissaka, but you still have uh, defensive issues, yeah. um, and and the, um, the stuff about about Lukaku being left out out of the squad recently. Well, I have to say, I'm I'm really really disappointed with this transfer window. I mean, when we went in and, and got the two signings and and Daniel James and Bissaka. I thought, you know what, this is going to be an okay transfer window. And with the with the people we're getting linked with, you know, I thought, yeah, this is going to be good. But honestly, it's been awful. We 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 still don't have no uh, football director or whatever you want to call it. We still don't have one when we we were told we we're going to get one when Oli got appointed. We we don't have one, and we've been looking at the likes of you know uh, Rio Ferdinand and these ex players when we should be looking at you know experienced people like Paul Paul uh, Mitchell from um, from IB Leipzig. Um, he's the head of recruitment there, so we, we we should have been we should have got that in first, and then we haven't got rid of the dead wood. You know, we we haven't got rid of Lukaku, you know, we haven't got rid of Sanchez, we haven't got rid of Darmian, we haven't got rid of Phil Jones, Chris. I could go on. There's so many players who haven't left the club who need to leave the club, um, and it's just causing a massive problem. You know, Sanchez. I think with his wage and stuff like that, he's on 600k a week. I think he's he's deterring and. Um, deterring players away or the players who do want to come you know they're, they're going to come and they're going to ask for big money because they see a guy like Sanchez who's just sitting on the bench and he's doing nothing and they're going to ask for big fees you know we don't have no wage structure in place at all and it's just a mess you know you see in the window now we've got what a week left we're chasing Maguire I think we will get Maguire anyway like he's, he's missed training today I think we will get it done but it's going to be something stupid like 80 90 million and I'd rather get, you know, Koulibaly for that sort of money. Um, I know he's going to be 100 million plus or whatever, but you may as well just put the extra money in for Koulibaly, who's who's experienced and he's a world class world class player. My my opinion on Harry Maguire is is that he's he's just like another John Stones in my opinion. He's good with the ball. He's good at passing out from the back, but defensively he's he's very shaky and he he makes errors. So. Um, I'm not too impressed with, with Maguire possibly coming in. I mean, it's not like everybody... I don't think everybody wanted him, to be honest. I mean, City fans didn't even want him. I don't really want him. I'd rather chase someone like Koulibaly or Ruben, you know, Ruben Diaz, someone's, you know, someone with a bit more experience. Um, I think we're just paying way over the top for Maguire. Uh, and then, you know, we're looking at Bruno Fernandes. I think he's got to come in. Bruno Fernandes has to come in. He's a brilliant player. You know, he's 25, 26, you know. He's done excellent last season um, at Sporting. So for 60 million, I don't think we can go wrong, to be honest. I really, really want him to come in. And then we had links with Milikovic Savic from Lazio. Mm. Um, 
they're talking 80 million for him. I, I don't know if that deal is going to go through, but I, I'd want him. I think, to be honest, I think we need to get we need to get Milikovic, Savic, need to get Bruno Fernandez. We need to get get the striker situation sorted, and we need to look at another winger. But I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. To be honest, I think we're only going to make another two signings, and, and that's going to be it for United. Which is a shame because we still still need you know a few more players, and we need to sort out Pogba, Lukaku. Get rid of these guys. These guys should have been gone from the start. To be honest, they should have. The, the window now shuts early. It shuts August eighth, seventh, or whatever it is. It shuts before the season. So when we went into the when the window opened, we should have had these players at the ready to go. Damian should have been gone. Pogba should have been sorted. Gone. Lukaku gone. But now we're weak. We're weak away from the window closing. We still have Lukaku there, and I don't know what's going to happen with him. I think he will go, but. It's just we just have so much dead wood left. It's just not been a great window at all, and um, you get promised so much each season that it's just becoming frustrating now. I mean, it's been going we've it's been going on for five six years. How many years since Fergie left? We've tried different strategies in the window. Now, for this season, you know what we're gonna this summer we're gonna get it right, and we ha- we're still we're still doing the same thing. We're still overpaying for players, still giving them huge wages. You know, it's just it's just the same old thing to be honest, and. Um, you know, I feel sorry. For, you know, feel sorry for Oli at the end of the day. He wants these players in before the end of the season, before the start of the season. He wants them in. He wants them in early to get them pre-season, and then we're leaving it to last 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 week. It makes it difficult for the manager at the end of the day, and it makes it hard for the player coming in to to integrate into the squad. So, to be honest, the window has been shocking. We should have got the business done early, but you know, that's just the way. That's just the way it goes. You know. So you're talking though about United buying all these big players and all that and spending all the money, but they're not really spending the money, and it's not it's not like a new issue that's arisen. But the Glazers and the ownership of the club, and how that's been run. And from an Arsenal fan, we've also been having ownership problems with yes. the we don't like the owner. But yeah. I think with Man United, they have been spending money though consistently. So I don't know what United fans expect from the Glazers or what you think about them personally. Like, do you think they're really causing an issue at club? What would you want them to do? I mean, I'm not like I'm not I'm I don't know the the, the situation like 100 percent um, about the Glazers United. I mean, I've read it briefly, but I don't I don't look into it like to a point where I know everything about it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say things that I don't know nothing about. But the Glazers, um, you know, from what what I've read about, they've been taking they've taken money from United. They haven't put any of their own money into the club. Um, I mean, I mean, I I think. They don't really have. Uh, they don't really have sort of an understanding of football. I think that's. I think for me that's a real issue when the the owner doesn't really care about the club. They use it as their sort of cash cow to make quick money, and they don't really have any sort of like interest in sort of the the club and the history of it, and and they don't really know nothing about football. That's what really annoys me um, about owners who owners like that who just don't care. Um, I mean. I can't. You can't blame them on the fact that the you know the money is getting spent. The money we're earning is getting spent. Whereas Arsenal, you know, as you know, they they haven't really been spending um, as much money as as you know they've got. Um, whereas United, we've been spending. So uh, I mean, I'm I'm with the Glazers. You know, obviously I want them out. Uh, it would be better for the club to just have them out. But you know, I think I think at the end of the day, they put the, the money is there. The money is there. So you can't really blame too much on them. So now, overall though, this season, 
Um, how do you think Man United will do, especially with Europa League this year? And supposedly there's like an effect where if you play in Europa League, it will affect your league position. Are United better off not aiming for top four and just focusing on winning the Europa League as an into the Champions League next year? I don't know what you think. No, I, I, no, no, I definitely think we should focus on the top four. I mean, the the once you get the top four, that you know you're sorted really. Whereas with the Europa League, it's it's you don't know what's going to happen in a final. You don't know what's going to happen on the day. So, I think focusing on the, the Europa League, um, it just it adds more pressure. I think. Whereas if you get the top four secured. You know, you, 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 I, I think personally, it's what we should do: just get knocked out of the champion. I know, I know, it sounds bad. Get knocked out of Europa League, call it a day on that, and just focus on getting that top four. I'd, I'd rather focus on the top four, conserve our en- energy, and and just get it. And, and and you know what? Save fans money as well. You know, we have to travel to to these places, ridiculous places in Europe, uh, for a Thursday night game. So. I mean, I, I want us to focus on on getting the top four in the Premier League. That you know, that'll that'll be perfect for us. You know, we forget the Europa League. Um, just focus on getting top four. It's a priority this season. So you know, next season, um, if we get these, if we get the signings, Maguire, Bruno Fernandez, and Savic, if possible, I think we will be looking at a top four finish. But it is going to be very tough. You know, there's no there's no guarantees. I mean, we have to see how these players perform under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. We're going to see. We're going to see how how Ollie does. You know, next season he's going to be really tested. You know, and it's either going to go well for him or he's going to get the sack. You know, personally for me, I think by January, I think he could possibly be getting the sack. You know, it's, these players have to play for him. There's no more excuses for him. There is no more excuses. We've gone through so many managers. You know, including world class managers Van Gaal and Mourinho, who are two top managers, and. I mean, if Oli, if they don't play for Oli now, you know, there's a serious problem with with the players and the mentality of, of some of these players. And I mean, we all, we we can all see it from the outside. The problems. I, I just don't get how United are not seeing it when when you know they're looking at this in more detail than we are. They, they must see these problems. Like, why are they not getting rid of Jones, Smalling, Darmian, Young? You know, it's not just Chris Smalling and and Phil Jones that have a problem with it. It's, it's so many players. There's like eight or nine players we need to get shot of. And they're still at the club, so it's such a shame to be honest. You know, we let we've let go of Ander Herrera as well. You know, we haven't even replaced him, so it's just it's just been shocking to be honest. The the, the last few years have just been awful as a United fan. Okay, thank you so much for coming on. That's, That's it. Nice. That's it covered. We've done everything. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was Manuel's opinion. Fans' opinion. Um, so. He started by talking about like what what he's done, and he kind of rates Oli. He doesn't know much, of, doesn't know what to say about him so far, and the whole Oli and Mourinho came out, the whole Pogba situation and all that. Um, and so he said that it was kind of he's not sure whose fault it was, and there's kind of a debate between Man United fans. It's kind of like it was. It I personally think um, it seems that it's not really Mourinho that's to blame, even though Mourinho has kind of been blamed in the past for these sort of things kind of not giving players a chance or causing distress. And it's not like Pogba was the only player, but Pogba has clearly caused unrest at the club. I think, I think um, he said that that, the, that um, it, isn't, it isn't completely Mourinho, it isn't completely Pogba, which I think is probably the, the correct position to take. I think they, they both have faults in, in, in that, and both have done things wrong in, in that um, relationship. But, um, well, I think with the Mourinho, if we're talking specifically Mourinho-Pogba, then I think I think you, I'd mostly blame Pogba. But if it's if we're talking about Mourinho causing unrest at the club, I'd say 
yes, it probably has been partially Mourinho's fault and partially Pogba's fault. But I think for this specific instance, it wasn't like Pogba wasn't getting played by Mourinho. It was like Mourinho's in charge and Pogba, by some things, wasn't really listening or wasn't really cooperating the way they wanted him to. So I would say Mourinho isn't as fault for the specific situation. Mm. And he said he should keep Pogba, he wants to sell Pogba, sorry. Yeah. And I think if they can get all the money for him... If we can get yeah, hundred plus, hundred and fifty mil, he was asking, he was saying. I, I, I don't see which club would pay for that, pay that for him after like his. I mean, recently he hasn't been that good for United. He had half a season at the end of towards the end of last season under on, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He was quite good, but he has he hasn't been that good. Maybe in the World Cup, maybe he was good, but he's still a world class player. I, and I, I think I, I don't think one hundred and fifty mil is is. I think where he he's was at un, I think he was underrated at United though. I still think he's, he's a world class player. Top, he's still top there. Player. He's, he's not, he's not was underrated. I'm saying he's been underrated for Man United. People have just been saying he's not been that good, but I think he's been one of the best players. I think he's one of the best players I mean, in the Premier League. Delhi Ali scored more goals than him. I'm saying, but he's there are different sort of players we're talking about, and I think Pogba, even though he wasn't, even though people, even though he wasn't getting all the credit for everything, I still think last he did very well. He scored he toward, a towards lot towards the goals. end, towards the end under under Oli, but the first part of the season. He wasn't that good for the first few years at United. He scored, I think, one or two goals per season. Pretty average stats. Like, and and, and people, people. I mean, sorry to bring a bring Deli Ali into it, but he does score goals, and people don't really rate him that much. Well, they're a different Pogba sort is, of player. Pogba is rated despite not scoring goals and, and attacking. They do similar roles, I think. No, I, I disagree. I think Pogba is kind of controlling the, the game. No one's expecting the like to Tony Cruz to be that much of a prolific no, goal but Pogba's scorer. different to Cruz. Pogba's, Pogba, Pogba goes forward and, and is supposed to be scoring goals, and his, his best at the his best. His best performances at the end of last season was when he was charging forward and getting goals. Um, and but I'm we saying we have to rate him on we're those talking about well. the different. But I don't think Mourinho utilised him in that way. So I don't think it's fair to go well. He wasn't scoring goals under Mourinho, but he was because I think he was clearly utilised in a different way with with um, with Oli. Anyway, um, I, I just like, I just like to say that it's, it, it was very refreshing to hear an actual mank talk about, about Man United rather than one of those uh, Man United fans who, who supported them because they were good. Well, under Ferguson, or yeah, I just thought it, was, it was very nice to hear a, a Mank accent <laughs> talking about Man United. Well, in that in that wonderful Mank accent, um, he he discussed the United's defensive issues and who they're buying and that sort of thing, and um, he said they're buying the wrong sort of players. He wouldn't. He doesn't like the like the thought of Maguire, and he wants to go after Kula Bali and all that. And I think Man United definitely need to strengthen, and I think they've had a very bad window so far. And they would clearly need to bring in, but I don't think attacking players is where United are going, and that's who they've been looking a lot. Bruno Fernandez was the one he wanted, yeah. Bruno Fernandez, they've been looking at Malinkovic Savage, you mentioned. Um, Pepe was on their list, um, but I don't think they're really going for the right sort of players. In United, I think Maguire looks like it's probably going to happen, but then that's a lot of money to spend on him. Mm. And supposedly, though, with United, they have been spending money. And we were talking about the Glazers and all that, and United not spending. And he said, unlike United, Arsenal have, unlike Arsenal, sorry, United have been spending. And I don't think then it's the Glazers' fault. I don't really know what they expect the Glazers to do. Because maybe they haven't invested, but United still have all this money they've got from from just being the biggest club in the world, basically. So they still have all this money. One, so, one of the biggest. I think, I think Madrid are bigger than them. And, well, the, the reports that came out last week was... Out of all the sports teams in the world, United were the number one football team. 
Um, I think they were sixth mm. overall in sports teams. Real Madrid were just below them, but that's still they are the biggest football team in the world. Just last just last week we saw the reports of that of of owned, of number wise like billions. It was like I can't remember the exact number, but um, so even though the ladies might not have been investing. I don't know how much of an investment's going to make with United because they spend their money. It just doesn't really work out for them. Lukaku got some, God knows what. Pogba cost them eighty million. Um, I think with 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 Man United, investment isn't really the problem. It's the the sort of club structure and that they they always tend to pick managers that aren't really long term. Basically, like, so Man United wants basically an, another Alex Ferguson. And I don't think they're going to get that. That's unrealistic, basically, to expect that. So what what the model is now is get a manager for three four years. Um, or, or shorter but over the years that. they've been linked with like they were linked with Zidane when he left Real Madrid they were linked with Simeone they're not really getting these big players which is quite a surprise big, these big managers because it's quite a surprise considering how big of a club they are that yeah. they can't attract these managers to join them Pochettino was well we don't know what really happens yeah, but Pochettino going there was another thing and it's kind of they have been trying to get big names but they just don't seem to be wanting to join them, and they've ended up settling on a manager who hasn't really proven himself at all, and because he's an ex-player, he gets the job basically. Yeah, but I think that the, the thrill of Man United is still a thing. Um, like Aaron Aaron Wan-Bissaka, um, he had other other clubs that were better clubs, interested in, like, like Tottenham, for example, um, who were interested in him. Um, but he chose to go to Man United, and, and and similar with with Daniel James. Players, players. The the thrill has has a play for my United. It's not as big as it was, but there is still the. It will I'm, never I'm, go I'm, away. I'm, I'm, yeah, it will never go away. I'm, 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 a, I'm a Man United player. Um, that that's still a, a exciting concept for lots of younger players, I guess. Okay, so yeah, that was the Man United fan. That's all the top six now covered. But are obviously by Man City. By the Man City because they don't have the these they fans. Got any fans? But um, got no fans. Um. But so that was kind of how this season has gone for these sort of clubs. How how, how these people think, how these fans think these clubs are going to go, and who knows what's going to happen. But I think that it's fair to say these are definitely going to be the favourites for top six. I think any club that gets dropped out of top six, maybe bar Chelsea, the manager will be sacked. Mm. I think that's fair to say. If any of the top current top six do drop out. They will. The manager should be should go, should be gone, and I think that's fair to say. Even if, even if they even if they didn't spend like Chelsea have or the, the, any of that, and it's just a new manager coming in. But I still think, it, based on how football teams currently structure, your every top six team is expecting a top six, and I'd say out of Spurs, City, and Liverpool, if any of them even drop out of the top four, the manager will, jobs will be on the ropes. I think. It's fair to say that. Um, I'd say Emery's job's up for grabs this season. If he doesn't have a good season, if he does finish sixth, we don't do well in Europa League. I think he could easily be chopped this year. Um, I think it's a big year for, for, for the managers rather than how the clubs are going to do because I think all of them could be gone soon. I mean, I, I think not, not all of them could be gone soon. I think Klopp and, and Potcher are long-term managers. So I think they, they will be around Pep for as well. while. Pep's less long-term, Pep. Pep hasn't been long-term, but I don't no, see Man City wanting to get rid of him. No, and once you're attracted to Man City and the money already, but, 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 but Pep hasn't spent longer than three years, I think. It was three or four years at, at a club in, in a row. I don't know if he... I, I don't know if he sees City as a long-term project or just another list, another club he can add to his list of phenomenal clubs that he's managed and, and, and had phenomenal success with. 
Um, and, you, and you do sort of wonder with with, with City, will some of their, their success start to sort of fall away if Guardiola goes? I, I don't know. But. The thing with Pep, though, is he's done it in pretty much every country apart from Italy and, and France. But no, but no, no one really cares about I'm France. saying, unless he did it with a small club in France, he's not going to get any recognition for that. And Italy, if he goes to Juventus, it's a bit of a cop out. So I don't see him leaving City anytime soon. I don't know why you'd want to. He's getting paid more than anyone else, probably. I mean, and I, he's getting to spend money, which he f- f- freely... I assume China would offer him a lot of money. Or, or, or the MLS, maybe. or some, some I think any like club, though, that could match his wages, Man City are the only club in the world that will match China for, for wages spent. Yeah, so I think I, City yeah, could, I, think but I don't see why probably. City would want to let him leave because it would literally have to be unless his contract runs out, not let and him, City I, I think he, he and he gets a better him. offer. He'd have to get a better offer financially. I don't see him wanting to go and compete again in Spain or I mean, Germany. China, China can offer insane amount of money. We saw that with the Bale stuff; they offered a million a week. Um, I don't know; how, it's obviously less for managers, but they could offer him crazy wages to to have manage a team in China. I think, yeah. I don't know if it will happen, but I don't think I don't think Guardiola sees City as a long term plan, a long term project. But I, don't, I also don't think that there's much, uh, much problems of them dropping out the top top four and like that. Yeah, same as Spurs and Liverpool, obviously. Okay, so let's finish this week off with Hero of the Week and Villain of the Week. Um, so this there's been some nominees for both this week's um, heroes. There's a few to pick from. There was the. First women's football game in a major stadium. Um, Arsenal played Bayern Munich ladies in the Emirates. And this is now setting a trend for a couple of teams are doing it. Spurs playing Arsenal at Spurs' stadium. Chelsea Chelsea, at at Stamford Bridge. Um, So that's a good sign for women's football there. Um, We can't knock this episode without talking about Kolasinac and his, his heroics, I'd call them. He is a definition possibly of a hero. Saving lives. Um... Uh, so we saw Ian Kalasinac saving Ozil's life, I think we can call mm-hmm. it, and um, fighting off two attackers, which was quite entertaining to watch. He's like a proper European hard man. Um, uh, I think what, uh, what Kalasinac is this week, and the official hero, though, is going to Diego Costa for his heroics against um, Real Madrid, where he scored four goals in, our, in, in the first half, followed by he then got sent off. <laughs> For, for fighting, doing his his usual antics, he got then sent off. But four goals against Real Madrid for Atletico Madrid is quite impressive for any player. I think that's a nice feat. It was the first they made quite a big fuss of it on the American TV stations about it being a the Madrid derby in America. But take that as you will. So this week's hero is Diego Costa. Okay, the villain of the week. Sort of going along with that theme was, was the um, the ICC referees. For those who watch the international champions. Cup. There was some pretty shocking decisions in, in that. I mean, the, the one you mentioned, the, the, the Costa Carvial game in, in the Real Madrid Atletico game, that was a bit of a mess. Don't think either of those were red cards. Um, there was there was two red cards in the in the Arsenal Madrid game. There was uh, there was there was an, another double red in, 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 the, in the tournament. I think pretty shocking refereeing overall. Um, and I, I guess it's preseason, so it doesn't matter that much. Um, also nominated are. I mean, lots of players <laughs> really for, for for these also related to the preseason games. There were lots of harsh tackles and pretty tackles that, that shouldn't be seen in, the, in a friendly game. Um, 
there was a horrific tackle on Harry Kane by An- Andreas Pereira. Um, some people will talk about another one that apparently Soko did something wrong. I didn't see anything wrong. It was clearly not intentional. Um, he tried clearly tr- intent to injure there. More, <laughs> not really. There, there were there was there was worse examples with with Liverpool um, where there was a player I don't remember his name. A nice first, youngster. A youngster who who I think who got stretched off. After a poor tackle, and the the the, the player himself apologised for his uh, for his actions and said that they were terrible and all that. Um, but the the uh, candidate, the final candidate, the winner, and the winner this week, or, or the loser, it depends on your perspective. Um, our villain of the week is uh, Zinedine Zidane for his treatment of Gareth Bale. We we talked about Gareth Bale last week. Um, I thought he was you know, he, I thought for most of the week he was going he was going to China. And that he was selling his soul to the devil, but turns out Zidane, with his uh, crazy whatever, I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's doing. He, he was he first said that there was no chance he could stay, there was no future for Gareth Bale at Real Madrid, um, and then he's let him stay because Arsenal uh, injured Asensio. Yeah. So if you think about it, Arsenal have stopped Gareth Bale's dream move to sell his soul to China. Um, just for the money I think if if, if we're calling selling his soul to the devil I think Arsenal then are clearly the angel yeah they're, work, working, they're doing the work of the Lord um, <laughs> fighting fighting the good fight against Gareth Bale um, and his money grabbing yeah and his, his money grabbing antics but yeah Zinedine Zidane for his his strange and and, and, and and weird treatment of Gareth Bale and now that he will stay for the season so that was it um uh, thank you for listening. Uh, please, if you want to join our fantasy football league, you can do so. On it's, on our, it's on our Twitter and Instagram at Soul CA Podcast. Um, feel free to do so. Go also follow us on Twitter and and Instagram. Now we we officially have three hundred followers on Twitter. See you. I guess we'll see you next week um, for the Arsenal Spurs preview. And remember, Soul Campbell is a Judas traitor. <laughs>